What's that I hear? What do you say? Uh, gosh. What do we teach people here? Well, one thing we don't teach you is to have a relationship with a book. So that's on one hand, that's, a, that's an okay answer. I was, uh, I, was, I was reading this week about a preacher who, uh, you know, in a lot of uh, uh, sort of more mainline, I guess, denominations, they, the, at the end of the service, the pastor goes up to the door and he stands there and he, he shakes everybody's hands as they go out. And uh, I was reading, one guy was, was sharing an incident that happened to him. <coughs> and uh, as they were leaving, he's shaking hands, shaking hands, shaking hands. And he was feeling a bit down, feeling like his message wasn't that great this particular Sunday. But one elderly woman walked past and she shook his hand and she said, the pastor, that was a very, very good sermon today. So he was kind of humbled and thought, well, okay, well, we said, well, uh, oh, yeah, thank you for that. But uh, look, I'd like to give credit to the Holy Spirit, to which he quickly replied, hang on, it wasn't that good. I thought that was uh, quite cute. Was all, like, I read another one too about a guy that uh, he was preaching at the end of the service. He was shaking hands and another gentleman walked past and he said, uh, your, your sermon today was, was wonderful. It really reminded me of the love of God. And so he, he sort of was impressed with that. And he said, oh, please tell me, how did it remind you of the love of God? He said, well, uh, it surpassed human understanding and it just seemed to be never ending. So, uh, so when I read those, I thought, well, I'd rather probably get no compliments. I'm, I'm happy with that. I can... I can settle that. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 1 with me this morning. How many of you know what's about to happen in seven days? What, what happens in seven days? It's Quimus, as my children used to call it. It shall be Quimus. Quimus in seven days. Quimus. Who's hanging out for Quimus? Yay! Who's hanging out for Quimus to be over? Hey, that's usually the way it works in the West. We can't wait for uh, Christmas to not only be there, become, but we're really hanging out for it to be over. I did a bit of uh, research this week coming up to Christmas because uh, I want to, I guess, talk a little bit about this morning. What, what were some of the thoughts of the initial early church? In particular, what were some of the thoughts of... Uh, the early believers at the birth of Christ. You know, when we think about the birth of Jesus today, we have a picture and an image. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we, we teach our kids about this thing called stranger danger. Anyone ever taught their kids about stranger danger and, you know, stay away from strangers? I think as a church, we've got to be careful of manger danger. Manger danger, where we have this image of Jesus meek and mild, this tiny little baby that, that was, you know, born over here because his parents couldn't afford a, a place at the Ritz or uh, there were no rooms left at the Hyatt. So they found a little shed and, and gave birth to this, to this child. And uh, we've got to be careful that we don't have this image. And I think we see it portrayed around Christmas time, this tiny little baby in a manger, this helpless little human being that would come into the world. And, and that is probably the image, the express picture of what we have when we think about Christmas. Yet when I go back and I read the, the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus and the prophetic utterances, the things that were spoken hundreds of years before, Christ, it was ever born. But they were speaking into the future about a time when this little baby would be born and what this baby would represent, what this baby would do, and what that would mean to that generation of people. Uh, I think the image we have of a tiny, helpless baby in a manger just doesn't quite cut it. And so I hope today to maybe give you another different thought, a different perspective, something different to think about 
uh, maybe on Christmas morning when you sit there and you unwrap your presents and you reflect on not only the commercialism of it all, but the real meaning behind what Christmas is all about and what we're celebrating. I did a bit of research, as I like to do at different times of the year, uh, and uh, the McCrindle Research Group have an interesting thing online, Christmas in 21st Century Australia. And I read through that, and I'll just give you a couple of highlights. Um, A couple of things that stood out in that were the highlights of Christmas for the average Australian. uh, 46% said the highlight is the celebrations and holidays with family and friends. I think that's that's a great part of it. And that's a great thing. But that, that, that is not necessarily, in my opinion, what should be the highlight of Christmas. But it, it is. It's the celebration uh, together, getting there with family and friends. 46% said that was their highlight. 37% said that there were secular traditions of Christmas, such as gift exchanging, Christmas trees, and just the general festivity and joy of the occasion. That was a highlight for them. Um, and then 15% said that the religious element of attending a service or singing a Christmas carol or watching a nativity play, whatever. They were the highlights uh, of Christmas. All wonderful and all great things. But again, all three of them byproducts of something that's way more important than that and something greater than that that is represented in the birth of Christ. Um, the survey went on to see what annoys us the most at Christmas. And that was a really interesting read. Uh, number one, 74% of people said overcrowded shopping centres. Who who loves shopping at Christmas? I love it. <laughs> love it, darling, love it. One of the uh, highlights of my year. Um, but se- I'm not in the 74%. But 74% of people apparently hate overcrowded shopping centres. 69%, interestingly enough, said they actually hate the commercialism of Christmas. Um, I would be in that, that 69%. Um, I hate the, the commercialism. And it's not just the commercialism, but it's the pressure that is put on mums and dads and families and, and, and so on because of that commercialism and what it's communicating uh, to people, what it's communicating to kids. Uh, me and my daughter sat down the other day and we... Anyone remember that movie Jingle All The Way, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger? Anyone ever seen that? Came out years ago, I think back in the 80s and 90s. And big Arnie Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian and Terminator and all this stuff... And uh, he plays a dad who, who's neglected to, to fulfil his parental duties and get his child the present that his child wanted. And so he wakes up the day before Christmas and he madly has to run out into the city of New York and try to find this one thing called a Turbo Man doll. And, of course, Turbo Man is the biggest selling toy of the season. There's none left in the shops anywhere. And so it's the journey of him running around shopping centres all around the city trying to find this Turbo Man doll. But the pressure and the stress, it gets to him so badly that at one point he realises his neighbour has bought a Turbo Man doll for his son. So when he sees that his neighbour is not at home but is actually out, he breaks into the house and steals this little kid's Turbo Man present from under the Christmas tree to give to his kid. And uh, while he has a change of heart and an epiphany moment, about how depraved he's become through that process. It's very symbolic, I think, of the pressure that commercialism puts on us when it comes to Christmas. There's always got to be more, uh, always got to be better, always got to be faster. Um, how, many, how many of you uh, have, have, have children and do what we do? We put down, um, like, what would you like for Christmas? And they do their lists. And I've noticed over the years, you know, when kids are real little, <laughs> um, you know, the list consists of just, just wrapping paper in an empty box, um, or like some of you may be humble parents when you were kids, just a piece of bread and some dripping and that's all I'll be happy with. Um, but as kids get older and older, that what they want is, you know, now I want iPhones and I want PlayStation 4s and I want Xboxes and can I please have a trip to the moon? And it just 
gets outrageous and, 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 and technology. And, and you know, the, the commercial world plays on that stuff too. This time of year, they release all these new things and they do it strategically because they know that we want to put it in the face of your kids so that your kids will put it in the face of you so that you'll put it in the face of your bank account and you'll run out there and it doesn't matter what the cost is or what, what happened. Speaking of technological advances, did you know about the new advances that are being made with technology, with communications and things too? You may not be aware of this, but... Um, Three guys were recently sitting in a coffee shop and they were chatting about the technological advances and things like that. And in the middle of their conversation, one of the guys goes, oh, here's this noise, ding, 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 ding. One of the guys goes, hang on, that's me, don't worry about it. Pulls his hand up like this, goes, yep, yeah, okay, yep, no, that's fine. Yeah, right, about four o'clock. No worries, I'll see you then. The other guys are sitting there going, what was that? He says, yeah, it's a new technological advance in phones. So what I've got is a little chip in here that's like a microphone and up here a little receiver, a speaker, and all I do is I push that and I hold it up and it's like a phone. I can implant it in my hand. I take it everywhere I want. That's amazing. That is fantastic. Anyway, they keep on talking. A couple of minutes later, one of the guys goes, oh, hang on a second. Yep. Nah. Yeah, no, I'll get it. I'll get the milk. Okay, I'll see you at lunchtime. See you, Dale. What was that? Because well, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I've got my own thing too. It's a new thing they've just brought out. There's a little speaker implanted in the back of my tooth. And all I do is I press the button. It's like picking up a phone. I've got a tiny little chip implant on the inside of my ear, which is a speaker. So, so they ring me and it's just, I just pick up the phone, hang up the phone. I can hear, it's amazing technology. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. How far can this stuff go? And they're sitting there debating it. And all of a sudden the third guy goes, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing, I'm just getting the facts. That's okay for church, isn't it? Can I share that? It's too late anyway, I did it. I'm up the front. So anyway, what annoys us the most about Christmas? Overcrowded shopping centres, commercialism, pressure to buy presents. Here's some quotes from some people in the survey. The commercialism of Christmas brings a lot of sadness, such as high expectation from children for expensive gifts when often there's no money to uh, another one said the true meaning of Christmas has been lost. It's now become a time of expense and often trouble with family members. How many of you know that Christmas, as much as it's a wonderful time, it's not a wonderful time for everybody, is it? It's like every occasion. Mother's Day is a beautiful time. But there are people out there in our society where Mother's Day is not a great time because of things that may have happened, transgressed in their world, losses they may have had. Father's Day, it's a fantastic time, birthdays. Uh, when I think about Christmas, what's redeemed Christmas for me has been having my own kids. Uh, when I was 14 years of age, my memory memory of Christmas is being down in Sydney at uh, St Mary's at my nan's uh, Mount Druitt at my nan's place. We were sitting there and there was a big Christmas tree there and I was 14 years of age and my sister was uh, 8 years of age. We were sitting there and the lights were on, it was the day before Christmas, nan's sitting there and next thing my mother walks out around the corner and says you and you come here. And they dragged me and my sister into a laundry and my father was there tears rolling down his face sobbing uncontrollably. My mother turned to me and she said, I'm leaving him, I'm not going home. Pick who you're going to go with. That has been my dominant memory of Christmas. From that time on, Christmas to me became a nothing. Uh, I would wake up in the morning and if there happened to be presents under the tree, I'd be happy just to look at them and go back to bed because my whole image of that time of year was tarnished through that experience that I had as a child. Uh, praise God, it's been, been turned around through the love of my beautiful wife who uh, makes Christmas a really big deal and was brought up as it being a, a wonderful time. And uh, she's redeemed it for me and having kids and seeing the joy in their face and so on. But the point is, I've been lucky enough and blessed enough to have that image redeemed. But there are a lot of people out there who have, uh, have hard times and things that have happened. And unless that image is changed, it can be a really, really difficult and a really sad time 
of the year. Uh, the McCrindle Research found out that 2% of people in our country will spend Christmas alone this year. 2% of people are going to spend Christmas alone. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable to, to fathom. I remember some years back uh, we were driving uh, from Ballina down to Evans Head for a big family gathering when my grandmother used to uh, still be alive. And we would go down to Evans Head every year and, and we were driving down there one day and it was pouring rain. And uh, there was a guy on the side of the road with two little kids and he's thumbing a ride between Ballina and, and uh, Wardell and, and we did a U.E. and went back. Couldn't stand to see this guy there. Uh, Christmas Day, he shouldn't be doing that, you know. We picked him up and we gave him a lift to where he needed to go and he just shared his story that he had no money, he had no car, he had nothing, uh, separated from his wife, had the two kids for Christmas, was trying to get them somewhere to, to, to be with some other family members or something and here he was resorting to sticking his thumb out on the road with his two children on Christmas Day in the middle of the rain. So as wonderful as what Christmas is for us, it's not necessarily a wonderful time for everybody and I think it's important uh, to acknowledge that, not to bring a downer to it, but just to acknowledge and just to say to anyone sitting out there today, if you find this a difficult time of year, uh, we understand. Okay, we understand. Um, I hope that, uh, uh, that your time with uh, your, your, your fellow, uh, you know, Arisians or whatever, uh, I hope that we, we get together. I hope that we celebrate Christmas. We might not all be in each other's pockets, but I, I want everyone to know that I hope we're thinking of each other, we're praying for each other um, uh, through this time because it can be, it can be a, difficult, a difficult time. So as we've just established, for most Western people, because of how hectic and how busy and how all over the shop Christmas is, we actually can't wait for it to be over. You know, we love the build-up, we love all that stuff, but how many of you, when Christmas Day is over, you just sit down in the chair and you go, (sighs) (sighs) it's not going to last long now because the Easter eggs will be out on January 1st and it's all going to start again. That's usually the way that it works for us. It got me thinking this week about this whole idea of Christmas and and this is what it means to us based on our experience and based on what we know of Christmas. But what must it have been like for Mary? What must it have been like for her to realise that she was carrying within her a child, a child that would change human history forever, a child upon whom the calendar of the world would be revamped, Uh, uh, a child upon whom a cult, a small cult group would come forward uh, that could have been squashed at any point in time by the Roman Empire, by the religious leaders, those who said Christ didn't raise from the dead. All they had to do was produce a body. All they had to do was produce a body 2,000 years ago and we wouldn't have this religion today. It would have been snuffed out. It would have been taken away from us and we would be pitied above all men. But they couldn't produce what they didn't have because Jesus did raise from the dead. But what would Mary have thought as she got to that place of giving birth and all the prophecies began to come forth and she bumps into different people, family, friends, shepherds, and they start speaking to her going, this is what this child is going to be like. This is what's going to happen. This is what he's going to uh, achieve. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says this. It says, so all this, speaking of the birth of Christ, leading up to his birth and his actual birth, it says all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken through the Lord by the prophets. And you'll find this originally in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. You know, the real meaning of Christmas for me is the realisation that God is with us. That God came down, dwelt among us in the form of a human being. That God relates to us, to our pains, to our sufferings. That God can relate to the joys of life, he can relate to the sorrows, and he can relate 
to the sadness. Now, I want you to think for one moment. Let me give you a tiny little brief history here. There's a period between... Actually, if you turn back two pages, everyone turn back two pages in your Bible, what do you find? Two pages back, what do you find? You find a book called Malachi. Now, if I want to go from Malachi to Matthew, I turn two pages and in three seconds I've gone from the Old Testament to the New. How many of you know that the time period between the writing of Malachi and Nehemiah, who they believe were probably the last two big voices of God, before what they call the intertestamental period between the New and the Old Testaments, is around 400 years. And they call that largely 400 years of silence, where there was no vocal word of God. There was no prophet standing up declaring, this is what God's saying to the nation of Israel or to the nations of the world. It's basically a silent period. So I want you to imagine, during that silence, there's the inference that God is no longer with us. We have offended God to the point where he has retracted himself from us. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you see time and time again God's involvement in the nation of Israel. He gets involved, they worship him, he blesses them, they defeat other nations, they prosper, they turn their back on God, uh, God pulls back, they fall, they learn their lesson, they repent. There's this cycle in the Old Testament of them coming, going, coming, going, coming, going. In this silent period of 400 years, Israel went through, I think, about five or six different nations that overcame them and took over their region and their nation. I think the Greeks had a crack at them. The, the Egyptians had a crack during that time. The Syrians, the Persians. And by the time we get to the New Testament, it's the Roman Empire that's dominating Israel. But during that 400 years, God's saying nothing and they are being dominated and ruled over and lorded over by other nations, other customs, bringing in their religions, bringing in their, their, their intellectual stuff, bringing in their philosophies, uh, bringing in their literature, bringing in all the... And, and so for 400 years, here's a nation that's hearing nothing and feeling nothing from God. And then it says here that his name shall be called Emmanuel. When we hear Emmanuel, we think it's just a really nice word in a song, isn't it? Emmanuel, it's just a really nice word. But when we see what the understanding and the translation of it actually is, Emmanuel literally means God with us. Imagine being Mary. Imagine being Mary. And you know the history. And you know that for 400 years, nobody has heard anything from God. There's been no dominant prophetic voice from God. God has largely been silent. And as a nation, they're thinking, well, we've, we've gone to that point where God has retracted himself from us. There is no semblance of God here in our land. We're being overruled by this nation, that nation, this nation, that nation. But we do know 400 plus years ago, there are all these voices saying, in time to come, there's going to be a saviour. In time to come, there will be a king. Somebody will rise up similar to King David and will grab us as a nation and lead us back to victory, lead us back to being a dominant force on planet Earth. So when this baby is born and the angels come and they say, you know what, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for a Jewish person to hear those words uttered? God is with you again. After all those years of silence and all those years of absence. The greatest message of Christmas, the great thing about Christmas is the reminder that, you know what, God has not abandoned planet Earth. God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned me. I look at the world today. And I feel like there are so many things happening and so much darkness and so much uh, calamity and so many negative things happening, not only in my own personal, I look at my own personal life and there are times and moments where I'm tempted to go, God, you've abandoned me. God, why are you not with me? God, why are you not fixing this problem? Why are you not helping me in that? Why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? Yet the message of Christmas is this, Emmanuel, God is now with you again. God is now with us again. What a powerful, powerful message to a nation of people who for 400 years have felt and believed that God had distanced himself 
from them. All of a sudden, the realization that God was actually with them. That's a powerful realization when you think about what they had gone through and what the psyche of the nation must have been at the time. And here was a baby coming into the world and God saying, God is with you. What's so important about God being with you? This is the question I've been asking myself this, year, this, this week as I've looked at this. Going, okay, so the big declaration of Christmas is that God is now back with us. What is so important about understanding and knowing that God is with me? What's so important about me going through life with an understanding that the presence of God is here with me now? What are the benefits? Why do I need to know that? Why did Israel need to know that? Why was it important? Why was it important in 2016 for you and I this Christmas to stop, to think, to focus and go, regardless of what's going on out there in the world, regardless of anything else, I'm going to remind myself that God is with me right now. And just a couple of things real quickly that I thought when I started to think about this personally. First thing I thought was that the presence of God brings peace out of chaos. The presence of God brings peace out of chaos. Some years back, I've got this little dog called Emma. Um, she's a little, yeah, little dog. And uh, anyone want a dog for Christmas? No? Okay, anyway, we'll keep her another year. I've got a little dog called Emma. Now, years and years ago, Emma was bitten by a paralysis tick. Uh, and one day the kids went out in the backyard to see Emma and she couldn't walk and she's flopping over and, and, and everything. And so they came up and said, Dad, Emma's really, really sick. So I picked, I remember grabbing Emma and taking her up to the car and I put her in the, 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 the um, passenger seat next to me in the car. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll drive her to the vet and do the right thing that parents should, uh, you know, owners of pets should do when their pets are sick. And um, So I'm driving off to the vet. As I'm driving to the vet, she is panicking. She's going ballistic. She can't move, but she's just panicking. What I did was at one point, I don't know why I did it, I put my hand across and I just put my hand on her and I touched her. And you know what? She completely stopped panicking. She laid her head down, just laid there, calm. And I was driving along and we had a manual at the time. So I've got to change gears. So I take my hand off. The minute I took my hand off her, she started panicking, getting all agitated and nervous and thrashing about. And I put my hand on her and she would stop. The minute I'd take my hand away, she would panic and thrash about. And when I'd put my hand on her, she would stop. And you know, to this day, if she comes and sits next to me, she does this. I'll be sitting on a lounge like this. She'll come sit next to me. She'll get her head and she'll put it under my hand and she'll flick my hand up because she wants my hand on her. There's just something about having my hand on that dog that calms her down and settles her. And you know, when I think about that, it's a little bit like that with an awareness of God. I feel like when, God, when I'm aware of God's presence in my life, it's a little bit like that hand being upon me. It settles me down. It calms me down. It gives me a sense of peace when I consciously remind myself, you know what, Alan, God has not abandoned you. God is with you. God is here right now. God has never left me. You know, Jesus made a promise. He would never, ever leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we did, no matter what we go through, no matter what we feel like we're going through, God said, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Now, my wife has said several times to me, and uh, she's probably said to other people as well, there's just something about having my presence in the house. I used to travel a bit um, years ago when we were with YWAM and stuff, and she would always comment how wonderful it was to have me come home. And it is. But um, she would always make the comment that she would sleep better at night when I was in the house. Now, let's be honest. Let's be real. I mean, it's not like I'm going to sort of do too much. I'll do my best to protect my lovely. But, um, you know, it's not like I'm, the, I'm not an Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything like that. 
Um, but the fact is, just having my presence in the room, she said she sleeps a lot better. And that's what presence does. Presence can bring peace to us when we have, when we're in the presence of the right things, presence of the right people, and so on. I had an amazing experience some years back, and I may have shared it with you before, but I'm going to share it again anyway. I was thinking about it during worship for some reason. I couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> about 20 years probably ago now. Gee, that time's gone quick. We were living in Brisbane. We were working with Youth for the Mission, and I went um, down one day. I come home from work, and Jackie was cooking a meal. And while she was cooking dinner, I had, we had Caleb and... Caleb and Johnny, and Johnny at the time. And I said to them, I, I grabbed them and said, I'll take them down to the park while mum cooks dinner. So mum's cooking dinner, so I took the kids down to the park, just down around the corner of the park. Now we get to this park, and when you go into this park, it was an amazing park, just a big open thing in the middle of Brisbane there, and there was one swing, a slippery dip, and a tree. I mean, that's it. There's a swing, there's a slippery dip, and there's a tree. And that's it. So we're there and we go down there and the kids are playing on the swing and they want me to push them and they're going down and sleeping and all this stuff. And then one of them turns to me and says, Dad, let's play hide and seek. And I'm standing there thinking there's a slippery dip, there's a swing, and there's a tree. Am I missing something here? There's a slippery dip, there's a swing, and a tree. And you want to play hide and seek. My mature brain was going, tilt, tilt, this makes no sense. What a waste of time, how stupid. But of course, being a parent, I said, yeah, no worries, let's play hide and seek. So the kids go, rightio, Dad, well, we'll go and hide, and you count to, to 10. So I go, rightio, no worries, go and hide. I stand here, and I go, okay, one, two, three, blah, 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 10, here I come. Ready or not? Here I come, ready or not? And so I open up my eyes and I look around and this amazing thing happened while I closed my eyes. Nothing happened. There was still just a slippery dip, swing and a tree. And so I open up my eyes and, and, and it's one of those swings that's just the two metal poles that come down um, with a thing. There's nowhere to hide. The slippery dip is just two metal poles with a slidey bit. There's nowhere to hide and then there's the tree. So, of course, I'm thinking, well, they've got to be behind the tree. I mean, you know... Um, but, you know, to make it fun for the kids, I thought I'll, I'll make it a bit of fun here. So I called, I sort of said, I wonder where they could be. And I could hear these voices behind the tree going, I wonder where they could be. I wonder if they're under the, under the swing. And I pick up the swing and look and I can hear laughing behind the tree. I wonder if they're behind the pole of the slippery dip. And I jump behind the pole and I go, and I'm walking around for about five minutes trying to make as much fun as I can. They're killing themselves. And in the end, I go, I wonder if they're behind the tree. And I jump behind the tree and they go, ah! And I go, ah! And we roll around the grass and have a cuddle and a laugh. And it's a wonderful, wonderful time it's had by all. We get up and then the boys go to me, Roddy, Dad, it's your turn to hide. Okay, I've got no problem with that. The only problem I have is there's a tree, a slippery dip, and a swing. But if that's what you want, I'll go and hide. So the boys go, we'll count to 10. So they close their eyes and they go, okay, Dad, 1,044,206,91,44,77,89. I don't know what they were being taught at school back in those days, but this is how they used to count. 91,74,22,23,24. Coming. Ready or not? So they open up their eyes and they run over to the swing. And they pick up the swing and they go, Dad, he's not under there. Then one of them runs over to the slippery dip and jumps behind the pole. I'm thinking, hey, I'm skinny, but I'm not that skinny. 
I've got more than one stripe in my pyjamas. So they jump behind, they have a look, I'm not there. And then they climb up on the slippery dip, and then they run over and they're looking here and looking there. And the whole time they're going, oh, Dad, Dad, Daddy, Daddy, Dad. And then the tone began to change. Daddy, Dad, 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 Daddy, Dad. They started to panic, started to get trouble, started to worry because they couldn't see me. And so when they started to change their tone, I thought I'd better help them out. So I'm behind the tree, so I go, make some sort of weird chicken noise, and they go, maybe he's behind the tree. I'm thinking, duh. And they come running behind the tree, jump on me, wrestle me, we have a row on the grass, we have a wonderful time, and we get up and, and it's all over. Now I looked at the clock and I said, come on, boys, we better go home. Mum's probably got dinner ready now. And we start walking home and I've got one on this side holding the hand and another one on this side holding the hand. And one of my boys said something to me I never forgot. And it stuck with me. And it's part of the fabric of my faith journey. He said this to me. He said, Dad, I was getting really, really scared because I couldn't see you. And without even thinking about it, what came out of my mouth was this. You couldn't see me, but it's okay. I could see you. I could see you. And as I walked home, I felt like God began to speak to me. And he said, Alan, that's faith. Faith is not that you can always see me, that you always feel like you're with me, that you always know what's happening or know where I am or know what I'm saying or what I'm doing. Faith is not that you can always see me. Real faith is the acknowledgement, the understanding and the trust that your father can always see you. He's always looking down upon you. He knows what's going on in your world. He knows your questions. He knows exactly where you are. Not where you want him to think you are. Not where you want others to think you are. But he knows where you exactly are. Because the Bible says this, it says that he holds you in the palm of his hand. I can't find anywhere in that book where it says I hold God in the palm of mine. I could try, but my hands aren't big enough. So I would rather he caught me. I would rather he took a hold of me. I would rather he knew where I was. I would rather have him watching me than me watching him. God is with us. This Christmas, as we unwrap our presents and as we get caught up in all that we do, let me ask you to consider. You know, in Luke chapter 2, I think it is, it says that Mary, who went through this whole process of Zechariah prophesying and, 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 and the wise men sharing the word of the Lord and the angel Gabriel coming to her, and all these things came to talk to her and to give her this image and speak to her about this child that she was going to give birth to called Jesus Christ. And it says in Luke chapter 2, I can't remember the exact verse, but it says, it might be around verse 19, it says that Mary pondered in her heart all these things. There we go. Good on you, Luke. What would I do without you? But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Can I encourage you this Christmas? Slow down. Slow down. 
Stop. Ponder in your heart. Think about what the birth of Jesus means to you. And in, more specifically, can you stop and remind yourself this Christmas that Emmanuel, God is with us. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He won't drop you like people do. He won't be offended at you for being honest. He won't be offended at you for being real. You know, one of my things I used to hate about going to church, and some churches I'd walk into, and it was probably quite judgmental on my part, if I'm honest, but I hated it nonetheless. I don't want to go to a masquerade party. I don't want to walk into a room full of people who got out of bed in the morning, put on their church mask. How do you do, do you neighbor? I want to do life with a group of people who are honest and a group of people who accept each other as we are, warts and all. The perfections, the imperfections, that's, that's what real life is about. And that's God. That's how God deals with us. That's how God accepts us. Um, I've said it before, you know, the church doesn't exist because of man's great faith in God. The church exists because of God's great faith in man. God believes in you. God has faith in you. God sees good things in you and good things for you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And this Christmas, just do me a favour, humour me, bring me into your Christmas day by stopping and thinking about the real meaning of Christmas. And that is the declaration from heaven that after all this time of silence, all this time of separation, that God has made a way to come back to us and that all we need to do is to still ourselves and accept that. Still ourselves, come before God and accept the fact that there is now a doorway opened up for us to come back into relationship with God. We can reconnect with God. We can hear from God. We can have him as a part of our world. He can lead us. He can guide us. But most of all, he wants to be there watching over us, taking care of us. That thought alone brings great peace to my world. And I pray this Christmas through the busyness and the hustle and the bustle that God with you brings peace into your world as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, again for today. And thank you again for the, again, the freedom, God, that we have. It's incredible freedom in this country to meet as we do and to, uh, Lord, to um, have Bibles and to, to have podcasts. And God, there are so many things, so many ways that we are blessed here at the moment. We thank you for that, God. And Lord, I just pray for each of us this year, God. Christmas means so many different things to so many different people. God, first of all, I pray that we could be a blessing to somebody this Christmas. Lord, let us, let us reach out in some way, shape or form. God, help us to make Christmas better for somebody else this year, not just ourselves, but, but, but help us to reach out to somebody else less fortunate than us as an expression of your love, your grace, and, and help them have a great day. Be aware of those who are around us, Lord. But God, I pray too for each of us that on Christmas morning when we wake up, it wouldn't just be uh, hit the floor running, let's get the presents open, let's get the, the uh, lounge room cleaned up, let's get the lunch ready, let's get the family and the friends in, let's get the cricket going. Let's, God, I pray that, that each of us at some point in that day would stop and would reflect on what an amazing moment that must have been to know that God is now back with us again. Emmanuel, the Lord with us. And that God, you will never leave us or forsake us, that you'll be by our side and that your presence brings great peace and purpose into our life. God, we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Rightio. Well, we'd like to pray for anybody up the front here. Me and Jackie are going to wait up here for a few minutes. If anybody would like prayer for anything this year, we believe in a 
in a, in a healing God. We believe in a God that loves us, that speaks to us, that guides us, that wants to be a part of our world. We'd love to pray with you. Other than that, we're going to get this uh, cleaned up uh, quick as we can. And uh, we're going to head over, say 12.30. We'll be over at the building with a key. We'll open it up if anybody would like to come on in and have a look. If you don't want to, that's fine. We shan't be judging you for that. God bless.